Welcome to the next episode of Travel This Week with Kosho and Kerwin. And today's guest is Mike Huxley from Bemused Backpacker. Through Tamandagara in Malaysia or uh, through the Ring of Fire in, in Indonesia. And it was a bunch of okay. ex, ex-military guys doing this trek from one place to another. And I was the, basically the medic for the trek. Um, I see. Um, but I've also, okay. um, like the last few flights, not, not the last flights I had, but the few flights before that, um, there were medical uh-huh. emergencies on the flight. Um, so I've had to attend okay. a, few, a few of them as well, which is, which is always fun. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, all right, see, we have a lot to talk about. So let me introduce you guys and we'll get going. Yeah. So um, hello, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of uh, this week, our travel this week with Kushu and Kerwin. And today we have a special guest. Uh, his name is Mike Huxley, and he hello. is from the Bemuse Backpacker. Uh, Mike is uh, an ex, um, and he calls it... Uh, qualified charge nurse. He's going to tell us what that is in the UK. And, um, so Mike and I was having a conversation as we do on the internet. And we we're talking about, um, you know, COVID-19, what the airlines are doing, what the air- airports are doing and what works. And so we thought, Hey, Mike, why don't you come on and we'll talk about it on the show. So, um, let's welcome Mike and, uh, Mike, just go ahead and introduce yourself and then we'll, we'll get right into it. Hi, uh, yeah, uh, my name is Mike Huxley. I'm uh, the Bemused Backpacker. I run um, my own travel blog as, as a business, and I'm a, a former nurse as well. Uh, specifically, um, my, uh, I'm a qualified charge nurse, but I'm also, uh, I also specialise in emergency nursing and travel medicine, uh, which includes tropical medicine as well. Yeah. So it's it's quite a diverse um quite a diverse qualification really and i've recently um i've also uh, just got a, a qualification in a course from the london school of hygiene and tropical medicine specifically on uh, covid19 as well um which was quite an interesting course especially because it's such a new a new disease it's um there's a lot of new information uh, coming out all the time so it's it's quite an interesting topic really uh, awesome. Well, welcome, Mike. And um, so what exactly is a charge nurse? Um, a charge nurse is basically, it's, it's just a rank. You get a qualified nurse um, and a charge nurse is in charge of your unit or your department or your clinic. Um, okay. So it's it's just, it's like a, thinking in military terms, it's like a sergeant. Uh, so is that equivalent to an RN in the US? Is that the same thing? Yeah, um, RN in the US is basically registered nurse. Um, so my, my official title from the NMC is RNA, which is registered nurse adult. Um, okay. and in, in the US, I don't know, um, whether you have uh, the rank of sister or uh, the rank of charge nurse or, or anything like that there, but it's basically the guy in charge. Uh, probably. Um, Kusha, do you know if we have that in the US? What, what's the equivalent? No, we do not. It's a Commonwealth thing. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, fair. but I, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, all right, cool. So, um, Kusha, and you know, feel free to pipe in if you get, um, questions from Mike, but I'm going to try to yes, start. Yes, I will. I will. Excellent. I'm going to try to start the ball rolling. And so, um, 
let's talk about the one that started the conversation, Mike. So Etihad is requiring blood tests when a passenger mm. shows up uh, for a flight. And um, Emirates too, correct? I, I think I think it was it. It might be both, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Emirates. It might be. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I think Emirates was the first. It was the uh, that was the one that sort of we. That's right. It is Emirates because yeah, Emirates is the doing a temperature check. So I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> okay, fair. So, so Mike, what do you think about um, this? I think there's um, it's hugely problematic. There are a lot of a lot of questions and a lot of potentially uh, really problematic things about it. Um, I mean, the, the first is that um, you've got to ask with with an airliner, which is a private entity, a private company, um, taking on the role of, a, of these clinical tasks. You've got to ask who is taking them, if they're qualified to take them, who is, um, you know, how they're going to do it as well. Could be because there's a lot of practical uh, things to take into consideration that um, I don't think will work. To be perfectly honest with you, after running my my own clinic myself, um, it won't work when you, when you're boarding a plane. Um, and there's also uh, the issue of consent, which is it basically underpins everything that we do in, in nursing or medicine. Um, and taking blood needs consent. And there's a lot of legal and ethical questions around that, because it's not just a, a case of saying, can I do this uh, to you? You saying yes or no, um, because you have to have informed consent and you don't know whether all the passengers there will be fully informed of all the of, of all the ins and outs of it. Um, you don't Michael, may I interrupt you for a minute, please? Yeah. Um, I've read an extensive, well, a series of extensive articles about this. Um, I believe it was last week and I should have saved it actually because it was so interesting. But um, I believe before you check in to buy uh, the airport, Emirates will ask you that you <coughs> have to give your consent to these blood tests. You have to show up about four hours before the flight. And if you do not agree to any of those criteria, you will not be allowed into the airport, much less check in at the counter. Yeah, and so you would imagine Emirates has its hands together. So they yeah, really have the done. thing with that is it's it's not just about consent saying yes I do consent to this or no I don't um, because there's a question what will they do with that information well that that's another issue a separate issue but it's also a question of if that consent is forced by saying if you don't do this you don't fly with us so is that's that exactly truly, what they're doing is that truly um, informed consent is that truly getting the, the, the consent of the passengers with full capacity to understand the, the ins and outs of that decision and I don't think it is there's a lot of legal and ethical questions about that and obviously as a nurse when you're doing uh, certain procedures you know you have to have uh, consent for that and there is a, there's all of these issues around it that I don't think are being fully answered in, in just this simple, you know, if you want to fly, 
you have to take this you have to take this blood test. You don't believe it's a cultural thing because in the Western Hemisphere or in the West, for instance, yes, people will raise all these objections. But in the East and in Asia in particular, these sort of things are sort of respected, if you know what I mean. In yeah, that the, the, people uh, don't question as much as they do, let's say, in Europe and especially in North America. Absolutely. So, and, and there are definitely cultural differences and the laws and the um, the professional best practice will be different from country to country. But in overall in the West, in, in the US, in, in, in the UK, Europe, we will have very, very similar um, laws and professional best practice when it comes to consent. And I think when it, it's, it's easy to say if, if this is just in Dubai uh, and anyone who, who's from Dubai um, wants to fly there, then those rules apply. But they're flying all over the world. They're flying people from all over the world. So they have to consider the legal and ethical and professional um, aspects of this. And I, I, I haven't read anything as of yet that's convinced me that those questions have been answered. Yeah. Okay, and I think it's practical right now when the flights are so empty, if you will. But I don't think when air travel picks up, it will be um, feasible to screen all those, like for instance, for a 380. Even if you're half full, that's about 200 passengers. How are you going to do that? And how are they getting all these tests available when we don't have them here in North America. I mean, how are they getting these tests, and how reliable are these tests? That's another issue I have. Well, that, that's the that's the that's another issue as well. And you're exactly right. On in practical terms, um, it's going to be very very difficult to organise a clinic alongside the boarding procedure. Because let's just assume, for example, that it is going to be qualified personnel in a separate sterile clinic doing these tests. Where are you going to put that? Where are you going to um, put these, put all the passengers while they're waiting? Where are you going to put the staff that are going to administer these tests? And also, it's, it's important to um, ask as well, because there are different types of tests um, for um, COVID-19. There's uh, what they call a serology test, which is basically an antibody test, uh, which yes. is, from what I understand, this is the test that they'll be that they'll be using. They've already started, actually. They've already started. And it's actually people are lined up. They have these individual desks uh, with, um, I'm assuming, a nurse or someone equivalent. And they have these passengers uh, come in, take the test, wait there 15 minutes, and then on, and only then, if they show up negative, are they allowed to check in. And I guess yeah. Dubai has a base to do that. Um, but I don't know if any like, Exactly like you said, though, can you do that when you've got a full plane of passengers? Right. But shouldn't you, you give them credit, though, for at least trying something? Yeah, to an extent. And making and, people and, feel and I've got, as I've got no possible. Yeah, and I think, I think I said to Kevin last night, I think it's a good thing that planes, uh, that, that airlines, sorry, are trying things. I think that it's a good thing that they're doing as much as they can to get back in the air and get passengers back up there. That's exactly what they should be doing. I just think that they're focusing on 
the wrong things. And I think that there's going to be a lot more problems in the long run from this. Than what absolutely. absolutely. Uh, yes. And I think as well with the with the um, serology test that they're, that they're actually using, um, what's the point? Why are they doing it? What is the reason for for having this information? Because it's just just say um, just say for example myself and Kevin uh, came up to to fly with Emirates. They gave us both the test. I've had um, coronavirus in the past, for example. So they said, okay, um, you've got antibodies, you can get on the plane. Kerwin, you haven't got antibodies, you can't fly. Well, you haven't got antibodies, that doesn't mean you're sick, that doesn't mean you've got the, the virus. That, that just means that you haven't had it in the past, you haven't developed antibodies. So what's the actual point of this? Because they're basically just saying to people, if you've had it in the past, you can fly. If you haven't, you can't. That doesn't seem very practical and it doesn't seem very uh, reasonable to me. Um, you know, yeah, they are searching for the IgM and the IgG. So I guess the more immediate concern would be if you have a high IgM uh, reading, I, you are not allowed to board, which means that you have recently been infected. But I guess an IgG uh, means that you've already had it and you're safe to board. At least that was the uh, criteria they were using. Yeah. Again, it's just, open it's to just question. Hmm. All right, so Kushal got a little excited right there. So let me explain to you what IgA, IgMs, and IgGs are. Um, they are among different types of antibodies, essentially natural weapons. They're produced by the human immune system in a broad-based response to an external invader most often a new bacteria, virus, or allergen. These antibodies attach to the foreign particle referred to as an antigen and help neutralize it, reducing slash eliminating the infection. IgMs are typically produced as one of the first responses to such an infiltration, but as part of the human secondary immune response, these are supplanted by the more specific, abundant, and powerful IgGs. IgAs are typically found in saliva, tear, uh, respiratory, respiratory and digestive tracts, whereas the others are among, are more common in blood and other bodily fluids. Individual levels of IgM and IgG are indi indicative of the stage of the infection and therefore the immune response. I hope that makes sense to you guys. Now, back to Kushro and Mike. But so at least they're doing something. Yeah. Um, they're doing something. I just don't think it's the right thing. And I think there are a lot of other things that they could be doing um, that would be more That's effective. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, what do you think? Well, for, for example, um, I think that in, t in terms of general principles of infection control, the, the standard precautions that we all use um, when we're working in, in hospitals and clinics and everything else, um, you have... Optimal uh, hand hygiene, that is the gold standard of, of any infection control. Hand washing uh, very regularly, um, you know, and using hand gel in between those times as well. Hand hygiene is just gold standard. Then you've got um, the use of PPE and, and personal protective equipment. Um, managing blood and bodily fluids. Um, and then decontaminating equipment and keeping a clean um, 
clinical environment as well. There are other things like disposal of uh, sharps and um, care of involuntary devices and stuff that aren't going to be relevant here. But those basic principles are absolutely relevant. And what they could be doing is, uh, for example, um, I mean, you, you'll know more than me on this. I'm not an expert on, on this particularly, but I know they have different levels of cleaning for the for the aircraft, um, and it get. I think I think it's overnight that it gets a full uh, full disinfectant clean. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in, in between, and for Emirates, after every flight, they said. Okay, uh, so 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 things are like mostly long haul flights, which take mm-hmm. you know they don't have like rapid frequencies, at least mm-hmm. for the most part. So um, so yeah, every aircraft is according to them given an extensive um, cleaning after every single flight. So that, that I see your point. Yeah, that 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 would be one of the first things to do because I'm I'm a big. Uh, personally, I'm a big believer in personal uh, responsibility in this. So it's on the individual to ensure that they are keeping themselves uh, safe as much as possible and reducing the risk for both them and everyone else as much as possible. And the the airlines and the airports play a role in helping us to do that. So keeping the, the planes as disinfected as possible in between every flight is is the first thing they could be doing. Um, I mean, I know other airlines like Ryanair, for example, barely clean the planes at all between um, between flights because they've got such a quick uh, turnover. That's uh, right. So, yeah. so you know, if if this if Emirates is doing this, that's great. But what about all the other airlines? You know, so um, maintaining that that clean environment on board is essential. They could ask every passenger before. They um, enter the aircraft to wash the hands, and that could be very simply having a sink right there with proper soap uh, to allow every passenger before they board and go through to wash the hands. And um, they can even go way overboard if they want and have one of those UV light devices to check if people have washed their hands thoroughly and there's no germs uh, there uh, before they board. Um, so once people are on board, so they know that. Up the whole- UV exposure and people may not be wanting to do all that, things like it's, that. It's it's not it's not a, the type of UV light that that cleans or disinfects, so it, it's not the type of uh, exposure that will cause any harm or problems. This is basically just a light that shows the germs on your hands, so it's not going to cause any any effect like that at all. It's it's a completely different type of thing. Okay. So, so you know they they could do stuff like that. So Basically, by doing that, they are keeping the um, the aircraft sterilised as possible. And the airport as well has can play a role by providing hand washing facilities, keeping the uh, keeping everything as as clean as possible in in the in the waiting lounges, disinfecting all the surfaces in between uh, when when every passenger is boarded and things like that. So when we board, then as a passenger, uh hands are perfectly clean because that's the main route of transmission um, because I, th- I think there's um, j- j- just to explain that in a little bit more uh, detail the, COVID, the SARS-CoV-2 is uh, spread through respiratory uh, droplets there's a bit of confusion that it's um, that's going around it's not airborne it's not an airborne uh, disease at all so you can't catch it by 
waving to Dave across the street and being in the same vicinity as yeah. it or in the same room. It's not airborne like that. It's spread by droplets of, uh, of saliva when someone coughs or sneezes. And if you're, if we're, um, say six foot apart and I cough or sneeze and those droplets land on you or you breathe them in, that's how you catch it. And it's the same, uh, like if I, uh, cough into my hands and then I touch a surface or if I cough or sneeze onto that surface and then you touch it. That's how this is spread. So by right. well, that's like any virus, right? That's yeah. airborne. All yeah, viruses so are airborne. It, 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 exactly, it's not it's not airborne, it's droplet spread. That's the thing. So right. if, if you if you eliminate those droplets by washing hands, by cleaning surfaces, you reduce the risk of infection drastically and that's always been the best practice that's always been the, the gold standard um infection control so by doing those two things you've already reduced the risk significantly um, right. actually since since you are a registered nurse i just wanted to ask you this slightly off topic question given that this is a, an rna virus which is inherently un, unstable outside an, a particular environment don't you find it very, very odd that this virus can survive on inanimate surfaces like aluminium and uh, paper and clothes for these in- incredible amounts of time, like 24 and 48 hours? Mm, because from what I know of RNA viruses, they, they break down instantaneously if mm. they don't have that suitable environment is no all, 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 right. all viruses can can live on surfaces uh, for a certain amount of time it's not a very long amount okay. of time um, and in, in, in different surfaces have different uh, have different factors that make them live longer or less long than like for example uh, if you've got a wooden desk or a plastic surface they can live a relatively longer amount of time on that than they can on say clothes or um, cardboard, for example, which is why I remember when this started, everyone was panicking about getting packages from Amazon, um, right. especially especially packages from China. And it's like, like banging your head against a brick wall saying, no, it's fine, because, yes, they can technically live on that surface, but it's not for an amount of time that it would generally have any effect. So unless the, the, unless the delivery driver literally sneezes and coughs on the yeah. package yeah. before they give it to you, you're generally fine because it can only last a few hours. So it's not a very long amount of time. And there's, there are still studies. Don't you think it's long enough though? Not really long enough. Not really. I mean, okay. um, I mean, that's the thing. It depends on the surface. So for example, if, if you're talking about an, an, uh, an airline, um, touchscreen TV, for example, um, and you've got, um, an airline like Emirates, which has disinfected the whole thing from every flight, that's generally going to be fine. If you've got um, an airline like, say, Ryanair, which doesn't have TVs, but let's just say, for example, it does. Um, they don't uh, wipe everything down. They don't clean everything in between every flight. There's a chance that that's going to be, um, that, that's going to have germs on that screen. That's why uh, I think it's also really important, as well as washing your hands before you get on the plane, when you're on, the, on that, you just take some um, 
antibacterial wipes and just wipe every surface down that you're going to that's in your immediate environment that means your screen that means the table that means all the anything that you're going to touch basically including the window um you know the, the armrest yeah anything that you're going to touch just wipe down um because that's again that's just reducing that risk further and further over time so um in in that environment on those smooth plastic surfaces yes the virus is going to live longer than it would on on say cardboard or clothing for example uh, so in in terms of that i wouldn't wor- be worried about that all that much because um like I, I take personal responsibility for my own health when i travel so i wash my hands a lot when i get on a plane i will wipe it like both those surfaces down to reduce the risk and you can never reduce the risk 100 percent. we will never have zero risk right. but it's about minimizing that risk as much as humanly possible and by doing that right um, you're generally going to keep yourself and others a lot safer as well so back to the, the things that the airlines can do um you know have you traveled at all since this whole thing started like Europe, it started a lot earlier than yeah, what yeah, we have yeah. here. I was, I was in Abu Dhabi um, after this had started, okay. um, and I was um, when I travelled back from Abu Dhabi to um, to the UK. That was just before um, they okay. locked, basically shut down all the borders. So I was quite lucky in that respect, really. Um, yeah, it, it, it wasn't it wasn't planned in that way. It, that's just the time I happened to be flying, and then. Not long after that, they shut all the borders down. Um, okay. I I was never overly concerned about it because, like I said, I take responsibility for for myself. I washed my own hands. I wiped everything down. I kept everything as clean as possible. Um, you know, so unless someone is literally coughing and sneezing and spluttering all over you right next to you, by doing those things, you've reduced the risk as, as much as possible. Mm-hmm. By keeping yeah. the environment as clean as they possibly can, the airline and the airports are doing are doing the exact same. So that's keeping things as safe as possible, reducing the risk as much as possible, and things like that are going to be a lot cheaper for them in the long run. It's going to be a lot more simple for them in the long run. So I don't know why airlines aren't talking about doing things like that which are really important and then promoting those aspects to to uh, to the potential passengers to sort of reduce the fears instead of going the really heavy-handed and sort of pointless way of doing things just to well in, in my opinion it's it's nothing more than a placebo and uh, to, to basically say to, to passengers, look at what we're doing. We're doing all of these things. Aren't we keeping you safe? Well, no, not really. But Mike, no, because one of the things they are doing is, um, so they're, they are doing the, I know some airlines actually giving out kits and the kit does have like, um, things for your hands and, uh, things like that in it. Um, and some are actually requiring you to wear a mask on board and in the airport. Uh, do you that, think yeah, that the mask yeah. will be effective? Since you know you, you spoke about if somebody coughs on their hands or something like that, um, what do you masks. think about doing that? I'll talk about masks specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, masks in general aren't recommended for mass public use. Uh, uh, and this is this has been the case in every PHIC um, for the last uh, ten years. It's it's been 
best practice and common practice that masks are not recommended for fast for mass public use uh, because they have very little effect they don't generally keep people safe they're only recommended in specific circumstances and up until recently where a lot of places and a lot of even some countries are starting to make them mandatory up until recently they um they were recommended for clinical staff doing specific clinical tasks because we would use them correctly and then we would when that task is finished we would dispose of them properly because that's the thing they're disposable they're not meant to be used long term um and they were also recommended for anyone who was who might be say uh, caring for someone who's um caring for someone who's sick so you don't uh, contaminate them with, with your germs and it's recommended for anyone who is sick but not sick enough to, to sort of keep them at home so if, if you're if you've got a cough or you're sneezing a lot yeah it, it, can, it can be useful in that circumstance so in general i've never supported the, the mass use of masks but i can see in, to some extent the sort of the sort of use on a plane for that specific journey so they could say okay this is just one more way that we can reduce that risk so um everyone has to wear a mask that's fine so if anyone does cough or does splutter or does sneeze that's just going to be in that mask Mm -hmm. what they need to basically when the flight's over dispose of them properly because if they carry on wearing them that's just gonna all those germs are going to be on that mask and that those germs are just going to make them sick because they're holding germs up to the place that is going to make them sick. It makes no sense. Um, well, Unless they learn how to use a mask. <laughs> well, well, that's the thing. But, you know, I, I mean, I got, I, I got shouted at by a guy in the supermarket uh, last week because uh, I, I, I don't wear masks. Uh, going on. It's, it's, there's no point. Um, but he, he, he had a jumper wrapped around his face. He was like, you should be wearing a mask. I was, like, I, I, I was biting my tongue a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and a jump, a jump for the American audience means uh, like something I'm wearing here. Yeah, uh, what do you call it? A sweater. A sweater. <laughs> yeah. So, so he just had one wrapped around his face. I was like, I, I can't even be bothered dealing with that level of stupid. But, you know, so, but for, in, in terms of the flights, they can say, okay, wear a mask for, for the flight, that's fine. But then what are they going to do about meal times? What are they going to do about drinks? Because if you're wearing a mask and someone's constantly taking it on and off to take a drink and then have something to eat. Yeah. I was just thinking about that. Yeah, you know, it, 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 it just defeats the object of wearing one. So, you know, wearing them, having them on for, say, a flight that may an hour or two maybe. Okay, so people can go an hour or two without eating or drinking, and um, it's not ideal, but you can live with that for an hour or two. You don't have to touch the mask, it can stay on, and then when you get to your destination, you can dispose of it properly. And they need to have um, proper uh, clinical equipment for people to dispose of them as well at the other end. That's another issue. I think it's a case of hand if you you don't, because if they didn't do it, they would be criticised, and when they are doing it, they are criticised. So yeah. I, and, and I guess there's no real easy way out, though. I think that's an issue of marketing, and you guys know, <laughs> you know, as much about that as I do. And I think um, if you're 
doing all the proper things, all the infection control procedures, and you promote that properly. It's all about PR as well. Um, and you say to, to everyone, look, this is best practice. It's best practice in the NHS. It's best practice in uh, clinical standards all over the world. This is what we're doing. We're sanitising everything. We're keeping you as safe as possible. You need to do your part in keeping everyone safe and yourself safe as well. And working together, we can do this. You know, I, I think that will be the, the, the best option for them. And, you know, it's not only the best option, it's not only the best uh, best practice in terms of keeping people safe and reducing risk. It'll be cheaper for them as well. You know, the, these things put in place will have a neg- neg- negligible budget uh, compared to doing all these serology tests. Well, um, well yeah. as you talk about negligible budget, um that brings me to the social distancing and the airplane question where uh, some airlines are blocking the middle seat. And yeah. uh, I, I see you're laughing because in, in my mind, I think, okay, blocking the middle seat is good, but what about the guy who's sitting right behind me who's a coffee? And what know? about the idiot in front who reclines right into you? This, yeah. this is why I was laughing because I know we're going to start arguing about reclining seats again. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that that is uh, so Kishore, Mike and I we've had the reclining seat argument forever. Mike doesn't think I should okay. recline, and I'm like, well, you should recline. So, uh, but that, that that's one for another one because that'll take us like a whole other uh, other um, thing. And we should probably uh, have you come on again, and we'll talk about. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> but, but yeah, but that, that's the thing, though. How can you? I mean. It's a plane. You can't social distance on a plane. You know, how, how many times sort of, over the past decade have we all complained that we're all crammed in like sardines? Right. No one has any room. You can't social distance on a, on a plane. It's just well, completely impractical. But they're trying but, now, you know, right? They're trying. trying. And I, I think if, if they say something like, um, if, if they're going to block off the middle seats, you know, I, I think it's going to have a minimal effect. Mm-hmm. Well, it's something, and and that's something that I can get behind. It's like, okay, that's that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that because it, it'll give people that little bit of peace of mind as well. Um, so, okay, I'll get behind blocking the middle seat. But are they going to stop the recliners because they're coming into your space? <laughs> well, you know? that's, that's but, where the mask comes in, right? <laughs> to an extent, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, I, so, I know, so, um, so it's, it's completely, it's completely impractical to social distance on a plane. And, you know, I've, I've seen quite a lot on social media, uh, all these, um, all these people getting morally outraged when they got on a plane and, oh my God, they're not allowing us to social distance. The seats are right on top of each other. What do you expect? You know, it, it, well, in, in terms of that, it, it's not, social distancing isn't a huge thing anyway, because like I said, it's not airborne. This is droplet spread. So as long as you do everything else, like washing your hands and cleaning the surfaces, um, you know, th- th- things like staying six people. foot apart from each other is a good thing. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's like, it's on the lower, lower end of the list of things we all should be doing to, to keep ourselves safe and healthy in terms of infection control. And this is why, um, like when this all started, for example, and I, I was giving advice out on, um, infection control uh, in a travel clinic and also um, the World Health Organization was releasing advice. This is why they were saying wash your hands and um, use alcohol gel when you can't wash your hands. Do all these other things and 
social distancing was down at the bottom of that list. But for some reason, and I, I honestly, I don't know why, social distancing is the one thing that everyone's fixated on. And, you know, it's, it's like you, you walk down the street and someone crosses the road to, to avoid you and screaming at you, social distancing, stay two metres apart. You only found out what social distancing was last week. Calm down. You know, it, so <laughs> social distancing is is a good thing, but it's not. If if you get on a plane and you can't stay six uh, feet away from someone, unless they're coughing and spluttering in your face, it's not going to be that big of an issue as long as all the other things are done as well. Okay. So I think in terms of, um, you know, m- m- making people feel a bit safer and maybe having a, a little effect. Yeah, take the middle seat away. That that's great. That's fine. It gives everyone a bit more room, and it, everyone will be flying happier anyway. Um, but, um, some airlines, like um, Frontier, I think, is just charging started charging thirty nine dollars. Frontier is a low cost carrier here in the US, hmm. and, uh, and they just started charging. I think it's thirty nine dollars to guarantee that you have that seat empty. I mean, because uh, wow. the side is that the airlines are losing they're losing money with that seat open, you know, up with yeah. them of what they would normally make on that flight. So it's either 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 you charge more for it um, or you go by. Yeah. I, I, I was, yeah, I was waiting for a way for the low-cost carriers to sort of monetize it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Look, look at Frontier. They, they just launched, yeah. I think, maybe yesterday. Um, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm surprised Ryanair. I'm sure you know Ryanair. It's mm-hmm. a low-budget um, airline yeah. in, in the UK and, and Europe. Um, the the guy runs it for, for for your audience, Michael O'Leary. In case they don't know, is very very famous for being as cheap as possible. This is the guy that tried to charge people a pound to use the toilet on board. Um, you know, so, so this this is the type of guy he is, and I'm really surprised that he hasn't come up with a whole array of charges. Uh, give him time. Give give yeah. him time. Yeah, it's, it's only a matter of time. I think. But, <laughs> so, so but yeah, I mean that, that's. That's a that's a fair thing, and and if it if it comes to um, keeping them in business, um, I think a, a reasonable surcharge, given that the flights are generally quite cheap anyway, yeah, isn't such a big ask. Um, so I, I'd be happy to say pay an extra twenty thirty quid on top of a normal flight. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's interesting. So um, you know, so, so it's that, that's that's relatively reasonable. Um, I think I think they can do that quite easily as well. Um, oh yeah, you, know, yeah. you get what you pay for with Ryanair mm-hmm. and to a lesser extent perhaps Jet, because yeah. you know it's an ultra low cost carrier and you should expect to be a little inconvenienced. Hmm. And that's what I don't get really about a lot of passengers. That's another issue. Here we have Spirit Airlines, which is sort of similar. And people complain up and down about how uncomfortable it is and whatever. And, but you're paying a relatively small amount to fly. I don't think you should expect the comfort of, let's say, another uh, less LCC. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's another. That's uh, absolutely. And I totally agree with you on that. And I think, um, you know, all, all those things are reasonable. Like, I, I, I generally won't fly Ryanair. Unless I have to, but I'll, you know, I'll, I'll fly EasyJet, for example, if it's if the flight's only to Europe and it's only an hour or two or a few hours, 
okay, I can put up with it for that. It's a low flight. I, you know, those are the sacrifices I made. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so I totally agree with you on that. I think I think the difference is is how um, because everyone's so fixated on things like social distancing, how um, the airlines manage that. Um, and as well, I mean, I know um, the the US uh, travel industry have come up with, with guidelines for um, for traveling. What I think yeah, they, they, they called it the new normal. Um, and from what I read of them, I, I haven't read every page in depth. I've just I've skimmed the sort the sort of uh, top of it. None of them talked about taking bloods, you know, which is a clinical procedure. <laughs> so because people would go nuts in the U.S. about that, so that's probably why they haven't done that yet. But um, but speaking of other procedures, so my one of my biggest concerns is the labs, right? So mm-hmm. if somebody uses the labs, uh, should it be sanitized before the next person goes in, especially on the plane? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd 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 say so, and. Um, to be fair, it's not um, a very difficult uh, job to do either. Um, I, th- I think the the big problem is going to be time. Do you, you know yourself on flights. You tend to get, especially at certain times, like at the start of the flight or after a meal, you'll get every passenger wanting to use the toilet at the same time. Yep. Um, which isn't going to be really practical. But I think the... Um, in terms of one person using it and then a member of staff going in and, and cleaning it thoroughly, that's that's reasonable to to do. You know, it's not very difficult to do. Um, you can pretty much wipe everything down, disinfect. I mean, it's not going to be a full disinfection. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be as clean as possible in those circumstances. And I don't think that is unreasonable to expect. Well, you probably need a, a flight attendant an extra flight attendant just to do that because uh, probably yeah especially uh, in these yeah, wide yeah. bodies long hauls yeah you, you'll, you'll, you'll need a specific member of staff to do that they'll need to be trained in infection control they'll need their own PPE uh, for that specific task they'll need um, they'll need some, some a specific waste only for that PPE and for nothing else mm. um, so you know that there are procedures that could be used because you know this is the I mean, I remember when I was a student, I worked on the um, the infectious disease unit in Liverpool. And, you know, th- these are um, highly infectious diseases that are usually come in from abroad. And this is where they're put. So there are procedures in place for doing things like that. It's like when a patient goes to the bathroom, you know, you, you can get a, a cleaner to clean that thoroughly. These procedures are there. These, you know, they're not... Um, but it is going to be more than what the, the crew are used to doing. You're going Absolutely. to have to give them training. You're going to have to give them the equipment to do that. Um, you know, so it's it's not impossible, and it's a good idea to do that. Uh, but like I said, they'd have to implement it properly if yeah. they're going to do it. Well, I'm thinking up on an airplane. So um, just, you know, the, the, typical, the 737 is the most popular airplane out there. And um, the A3, Airbus 320, 319, 321, well, probably not the 321 for this example, but it's pretty similar. So there's two labs at the back usually, um, and there is one at the front. So in terms of thinking of an airline, you would need someone at the front of the plane to be on live duty and someone at the back of the plane to be on live duty. So we're talking about two extra flight attendants here, which 
is more cost. So I I don't still I can I, imagine less cost than things like the serology tests. Well, so true, but even but, but let's, you let's, go, let's go to a wide body where you have um you probably have maybe one two maybe six eight labs on a on a wide body, mm-hmm. and yeah, they're they're in the front, in the middle, and in the back. So you're talking staff and that. So I mean, I I get what we should do. I'm just thinking of from an airline perspective. The, pr- the, the practical sort of application of it. Yeah, this because is going to cost us more money. Yeah, because I, th- I think um, on, a, on a practical level, you're absolutely right. You know, there, there are going to be some, um, it's, it's never going to be a clinical environment. It's never going to be completely sterile. Right. Again, that, that's where the, the personal responsibility comes in. You have to make sure your hands are clean. You have to make sure that um, if you haven't washed your hands, you're, you're touching your, your mouth all the time while you're eating and things like that. You have to make sure that your uh, the things that you're touching are clean. So that's where the balance comes in between your responsibility and the things that the airlines and the airports are doing as well. Um, so you, can, you the, the airlines, for example, can do as good as they can do with some um, with some practical things that they're not going to be able to do. Um, like for, for example, uh, you know, using the toilet example again, it might not be always practical to, to clean it thoroughly in between each person using it. Um, like for example, if, if one person uses it and then um, an, an old deer comes up who's literally bursting and you haven't had time to clean it yet, it's like, Okay, but make sure your hands are washed and you can make sure that person does yeah. everything they can and then you clean it. So, you, you, you know, there are always sort of <laughs> practical things around it because it is a plane. It's not going to be a clinical environment. And, and I think people understand that. Um, that. That goes back to the social distancing on there as well. You know, practically, you know, you're not going to be six okay, foot away yeah. from everyone else at all times. But that's the <laughs> risk you accept and you, you reduce that risk yourself. Cool. Well, Mike, I mean... I, clearly, this is a huge topic, and we could talk about it um, for hours and end here. But, um, yeah. Christian, did you did you have any questions that I might have um, not asked for Mike? No, um, I just don't think the cleaning toilets, even though it's one of the most important things, is practical at all. Because yeah. I don't see anyone, at least in the U.S., be willing to take a flight attendant be willing to take that job and do nothing else but that. And they really cannot do anything else but that. Right. Because people use the toilet a lot, especially on long-haul flights. I think now maybe with the low passenger loads and low frequencies of flights, but long-term, absolutely impractical. And I don't blame them. I don't think it needs to last uh, long-term. I think that because you've got to remember, overall, um, the the risk of this pandemic is is declining. Numbers are going down. This will be over at some point in the future. So not in uh, this country. Uh, it will be. <laughs> it will be. You know, it's 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 followed the same path all over the world. You know, you have yeah. a peak, it'll decline. And th- things like um, the lockdowns. The more serious the lockdown generally the more serious the, the secondary wave that the bounce back will come. Um, so, you know, you're going to have peaks and troughs, but it will 
there will be a time when um, this isn't really a risk because everyone will develop antibodies. There will be a time when there is a, a vaccination. You know, I mean, who, who remembers MERS and SARS now? You know, is everyone going around worrying about bird flu? No, they're not. You know, so these things have the have the time, they have the life. So in terms of um, in in short but term, they want medicine, infectious also. So I guess some of them. Mars and SARS, like Ebola was the really, really contagious one. But that was well, uh, you know, uh, quarantined mostly Africa, West Africa. Yeah, I mean, well, that, that, that's, that's the thing. And that's the the big thing I can't personally get my head around either, is that we've had um, at least half a dozen PHICs in the last decade. Oh, sorry, um, public health emergencies of international concern. That's what um, the pandemic is. That's what the WHO call it. Um, we've had at least six in the last decade. We've had Ebola, we've had SARS, we've had MERS, we've had bird flu, we've had all these. Some of them, in, in terms of Ebola, are far more dangerous, hmm. far more lethal. The difference with them and this is the speed and the the sort of. I'm, try, I'm trying not to speak in, in in technical terms, but the 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 speed and the uh, the speed at which it spread and the amount of countries it spe- spread to in such a short amount of time. So right. that, that's the big difference between what we have now and, and, the, and the past PX. Mm. But we've never had this level of response. We have never had um, the, the entire world essentially shut down. You know, for all of the other ones, even, even the ones that were more lethal, the World Health Organization never recommended yeah, but, but the World Health Organization never recommends travel bans um, because they're not practical. Um, and there, there have been cases in the past where um, where, where the US have, have instigated um, very limited travel bans. And that's, that's okay. That's reasonable caution. But shutting down the entire world is we've never had this. And, um, you know, that, that's the... But air travel wasn't as developed at the time of SARS as well. Yes, it was there, but not as, um, uh, I don't want to say developed, but not as much as it is now in terms of um, flights between different countries. You you could probably say that for Ebola because that was very sort of localised. Right. Um, So the the flights going in and out of of that area um, wouldn't have been... As, as, as well, few and far between. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you could very easily say, okay, well, we're not going to have a full travel ban, but we'll we'll stop flights from that area for a limited period of time. That's reasonable caution. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, the rest of the world, in terms of bird flu and SARS and, and everything else, it was just as developed. There were just as many flights going here, there, and everywhere. Um, you know, so mm. I mean, the the, the SARS-CoV-2, which is is what causes COVID-19 um, and it can be compared in a lot of ways to, to SARS, the first SARS outbreak, you know, so I, th- I, th- I think that Again, this is much more infectious though. Um, yeah, yeah I mean, you, you can say that the, you know, the way it's spread without getting too technical on this and um, the speed and the way in which it spreads is is much faster and it spreads further a lot quicker. Yeah, yeah. But there's it's it's not as deadly. You know, there's there's no proof 
or no evidence to say that it's it's more deadly yet. You know, and, it, 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 and these things are symptoms and some of the uh, well, some of the effects are far more serious than they ever were with SARS. The best they of can, my knowledge. They, they can be. Um, when, when you've got yeah, and we don't know what causes it to be like so vicious in some patients and it's a very new disease there are a lot of similarities to, to what I mean coronaviruses in general are a family of viruses so there's, there's a lot of uh, even though they're different diseases uh, SARS-CoV-2 um, is not influenza for example but they're both part of the same family so you can sort of compare some things and, and not compare others if that makes sense um, so yeah, this is yeah. a new disease, and it does um, have very um, severe effects in in some people. But you've got to remember that the percentage of those people who it affects very seriously is very very low. It's still got, right. um, and I'm I'm being put on the spot by trying to remember stats off the top of my head here, but I think it's it's above eighty percent recovery rate at the moment. The um, the active cases. Um, that where, where people still have it, they're still being treated. Uh, I think it's only around three, maybe four percent um, that are basically critical. So it's a very, very small percent of of those people who, who still have it that it's going to affect that seriously. The vast majority of people might not even realise they've they've got it at all or suffer very mild symptoms. So. You know, it's it's not as it's not a world-ending disease as a lot of the media like to portray it as. It's not this big panic-inducing thing. It's it's serious, yes. And and when I talk about this, I always have to clarify: I am not in any way sort of um, playing it down. I'm not saying that it's not a very serious disease because it is. It needs a serious response, but it also needs um, perspective on it as well. And, you know, the, like I said, there will be a time where it will run its course. We will be flying again. We will be traveling again. And people won't be worrying about this the same way they're not worrying about SARS or MERS now. So, All right. yeah. you know, it, it, well, um, you know, with it, might, it might not be in the next month, but it will happen at some time in, in the future. Yeah. Well, that, um, Mike, um, we've. We've taken up a lot of your time this morning or this afternoon, depending on where you are. So I want to respect for the fact. And um, thank you so much for coming on and, um, you know, telling us. It's, it's so much easier for us to chit-chat here than type when it oh, comes. Yeah. So um, I really appreciate the time. And, uh, oh, thank you for having me on. It's, it's, been a, it's been an honor. Thank you. Yeah, it's good. Thank All you, right. Michael. All right, great. So um, thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you all so much for watching and listening. This is Kerwin with Travel Talk with Kershaw and Kerwin. Talk to you soon.